Good morning. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm Michael Eaton. I am the um, Reconnect Minister here at Bachelor Creek. I used to do what Evan did, and I know that there's people here already who don't even know me in that role. So that's really cool. Um, for my, uh, my daughter's 23rd birthday, my wife and I got Aria a fathead. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, uh, it is a large sticker of your favorite, oh, I don't know, it could be a lot of different things, but um, mostly it's sports stars. Now, first of all, my family is not like other families. We don't watch baseball or basketball or hockey or football. We watch soccer, the real football, you know, the kind that you play with your feet. Um, and our favorite football was the Premier League in England. Brandon was a Chelsea fan. That's my number one son. Um, Jacob was an Arsenal fan. Cheryl didn't care one way or the other. And Aria and I were both Manchester United all the way. And even though he no longer plays for them, our, our favorite player was Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, the man is absolutely magic with his feet. So, Aria got something like this to hang on her wall, but it had the Manchester United uniform uh, instead. Now, it's life-size, right? So this is on her wall until she got married. Um, now, I wish he still played for my favorite team, but he is still the best. And at 38 years old and close to hanging up his cleats, he is still the highest paid athlete in the world at $136 million in 2023. And if you're a soccer fan, yes, he beat Messi by $6 million. LeBron James, back here in the States, earned 119.5 for playing basketball. Dustin Johnson earned $107 million for playing golf followed closely by Phil Mickelson at $106 million. Roger Federer, over $95 million for playing tennis. And Russell Wilson made $85 million for playing football. These are our modern-day gladiators. The only difference is the gladiators don't actually try to kill each other. But we love to be entertained, don't we? And, and we pay handsomely for it. Um, Tom Cruise, uh, we'll go to movie stars, he, he recently put out a sequel to Top Gun called Top Gun Maverick. How many of you like that movie, right? The guys are all into that. His total income for that movie was $100 million, as was his income for Mission Impossible 2 and War of the Worlds. Robert Downey Jr. made over $75 million for Iron Man 3, Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame. All of these people make so much money to entertain us and stop to realize that, yes, they make so much money because we long to be entertained. What about the things that really matter, though? 
do you know what the average salary of a school teacher is in this area? It's between 37000 and 76000 Average that out to 565 and realize that most teachers will never see that figure. That's a far cry from the millions paid to the people who entertain us, isn't it? And yet, they not only have to put up with our children, but they have to put up with their parents as well. Things have changed, right? A police officer in Wabash starts out at $33,000. And the average, once you average out all the pay, is $59,500. For a family, that's pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. Our heroes struggle while our entertainers thrive. We live in an upside-down society. And I dare say that if one of our entertainers came into our midst, we would ask one of our teachers or our servicemen to give up their seats. So uh, a Tom Hanks or a Sandra Bullock, I, I don't know, you pick your favorite actor, Taylor Swift or some other musician, or how about Indianapolis Colts stars, Jonathan Taylor or Anthony Richardson. By the way, I had to ask who these guys were. Um, pick your favorite athlete, I don't know. They would have the best seat in the house. Yes, we have it all wrong. But that is not the way that Jesus saw things. We are looking today at James 2, 1 through 10. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? My brothers and sisters, Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You may be seated. In, uh, in 2007, the staff and elders here at Bachelor Creek took a serious look at our reputation, how the community saw us, and quite, quite frankly, how we saw ourselves. We were known as the rich church, the country club church. It's not what we set out to be, and really, it's not what we were, but perception was what it was. So we made some changes. Our focus changed. 
we started targeting young families. We started making subtle changes to our building, to our stage. But one of the most important things we did was we started to dress differently. Before that time, both Solomon, who was the preacher at the time, and I, we always wore a suit. In fact, when I started here in the summer of 2000, I told my team that they could wear whatever they wanted. With one exception, I asked the ladies to dress modestly. After all, I wanted the congregation to worship the Creator, not His creation. But even if they were all in jeans, I would be in a suit. That way everyone in the room could connect with someone on stage. But in 2007, I started wearing pretty much what I've got on, a pair of jeans and an untucked sports shirt. Solomon, too, made changes to his attire. And it didn't take long before most of the congregation, for lack of a better term, started following Soon after, we started seeing a different class of people showing up. Did that make you cringe when you heard it? Because it made me cringe when I wrote it. A different class of people? Is that how we think of it? Is that how I think of it? What class are you? What class am I? I'm certainly not what is considered high class. I didn't make that kind of money when I was full-time. So am I low class now? Is it all based on economics? Um, is that annual or is it total net worth? Honestly, I just don't know how it all works. But I know that Jesus sees it differently than the world does. I don't know how many of you know this, but I have a headache. Sometimes it's worse than others, but I have had a headache for over 20 years. There was a point in time that we wondered if I might have a tumor on my brain. And so we scheduled a MRI to see if that might be the cause. Cheryl and I both waited with some trepidation for the results until we heard the doctor utter these words. Your brain is unremarkable. And Cheryl said, I could have told you that. She didn't really say that. Those two letters, U-N, un, made all the difference. You see, had my brain been remarkable, that would have been a bad thing. It could have meant surgery, it, it, radiation, chemotherapy, but un, U-N, changed all that. Un was a good thing. Jesus searched out the un in society, and it made all the difference. He searched out the un, and by doing so, it both drew people to him and repelled others from him. First, Jesus searched out the unwealthy. Now, I don't know if that's a word or not, but the poor. In Luke 6, 20 and 21, it says, Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for 
you will laugh. Jesus spent much of his time loving on the unwealthy, the poor. And, and while he went from town to town healing the sick, the blind, and the lame, he couldn't really heal the poor from what was ailing them. But he did lift the spirits and give them hope. And he encouraged others to help in their fight. In Mark 10, we read about a rich man who approaches Jesus and, and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus tells him, well, you know the commandments, and he begins to list off a few. And, and the man replied, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Then it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus told his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You see, they were amazed at Jesus' words because the belief was that God blessed you according to your goodness and then included both health and wealth, something that some preachers still tout today. Please don't listen to them. Nothing could be further from the truth. So then, is it wrong to have wealth? Well, let's see. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, Paul tells us why we are blessed and what to do with our blessing. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, you have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The Jewish community had been looking and waiting for the Messiah for centuries. And Jesus was not the first to show up. There were others, but he was the first to show up with the signs and wonders and, and prophetical 
background behind him. So with all of this in his favor, why do you suppose the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were so quickly to dismiss him? Well, because he should have chosen them, of course. What Messiah would choose fishermen over someone who actually studied the law all his life? Huh? And wait, a tax collector? Really? Now I know you're a fake. You can't lead a people by enlisting the enemy to be one of your generals. That's, that, that's just stupid. No, you can't be the Messiah. We'll just, we'll just wait on the next one. And by the way, they're still waiting. Well, Jesus did meet with and even dine with some of the leaders and Pharisees, he spent most of his time with the uns. Jesus searches for the undesirable. You know, when we think about the apostles, we tend to imagine upright, holy men. But that's not the men that Jesus chose in the beginning, was it? He chose the unschooled, the ordinary, the fishermen, the laborers. When he went from town to town, he was surrounded by the sick, the lame, the blind, and the deaf. These were the people who were forgotten by society, who were left to beg for their food. And upon being healed, these were the people who began to follow Jesus. To listen to his teaching, to spread the news of the signs and wonders of the man from Nazareth who not only healed the sick, but taught with authority. And as we read the Gospels, we hear the love in his words. In fact, the only time that we, we see words um, that were not nice were to the very people who thought they were better than everybody else. In Matthew 23, 1 through 12, it says this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you, are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. One of the better known stories in the gospel is a mother's request. It's not a parable. It's something that occurred on the last week of Jesus' life. James and John's mother um, 
corners Jesus to ask the favor. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Now, their misunderstanding of just what the kingdom was um, was a subject of further conversation. But when the others found out about it, um, they were indignant. And in verse 25 of Matthew 20, it says this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to become first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, now our last category. Jesus searches for the unacceptable. We're going to start with the adulteress. One day, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees wanted to set a trap for Jesus. They executed this plan by bringing in a woman whom they claimed was caught in the act of adultery. And asking Jesus whether she should be stoned in accordance with the law. Instead of giving them a simple yes or no answer, Jesus stooped down and, and wrote in the dust with his finger. And, and then he stood up and said, in John 8, 7, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In saying this, Jesus didn't mean adultery is okay because you guys are sinners too. Instead, he challenged each individual to take responsibility for the act of condemning someone else, thus exposing their own hypocrisy. Would any religious leader dare claim to be sinless? No. Instead, they each slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, while Jesus bent down and wrote in the dust the second time. Now, we don't know what Jesus wrote, but by looking at the ground, he probably didn't watch the humiliation of his accusers. His focus was not humiliating the hypocrite, but saving the woman. That's amazing grace. After all the accusers disappeared, Jesus finally stood up and said in verse 10, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Another unacceptable person of note was the prostitute. A Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to dinner. A sinful woman, most likely a prostitute, heard Jesus was eating there and came with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, and began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Her gesture was financially and socially costly. She not only poured perfume on Jesus' feet, but she also wiped them with her hair in public. You see, by unloosing her hair in a society where Women wear a head covering as a sign of piety. She was making an ultimate pledge of loyalty to 
Jesus. With tears in her eyes and other guests watching this provocative act, Simon was offended by her treatment of the prophet in this unorthodox manner. Then Jesus told Simon a parable in Luke 7, 41 to 48. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I have come into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now the last unacceptable is really the first. We'll start where Jesus started, the tax collector, Matthew. Tax collectors were considered somewhat of a collaborator with the enemy. Even if he didn't work directly with the Romans, he ultimately was collecting money for them. Hatred was easily focused on such a man, even more so than the adulteress or the prostitute. And Jesus called one of them to be his most trusted follower. To choose to be with such an unacceptable man put Jesus in a bad light with acceptable society, that is. But remember, Jesus looks at the heart. And when he was walking, he saw Matthew sitting at his post. And Jesus uttered two simple words, follow me. And Matthew did for the rest of his life. Jesus took the unwealthy and made them rich towards God. He took the undesirable and made them beautiful in the eyes of heaven. And he took the unacceptable and welcomed them into his arms. Jesus not only walked and talked and healed all these unwealthy, undesirable, and unacceptable people, he ate with them. Would you make your elements ready this morning? You see, table meals in ancient Israel were more significant than we might think. Sharing a meal with someone implied accepting them, and in this case, added to that was forgiveness. Our Lord's Supper is based mainly on that same premise. Sharing the meal from the Lord's table in this assembly communicates our acceptance and forgiveness towards one another. We are the uns. We don't make ourselves ready to be accepted. God offers grace through which 
in our unpreparedness, in our sin, we can go to him just as we are. And he makes us something far more significant. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this day. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you for the hope that you've given us. We thank you for searching us out when we were unlovable, when we were undesirable, when we were unacceptable. Father, we thank you for knowing us. Father, we thank you so much for uh, for being in our presence this morning, for filling this room with your spirit. Even right now, Father, you are tugging on our hearts. Even right now, you are seeking someone in this room. You're saying those same two words, follow me. Father, like Matthew, I just pray that those two words are answered. Thank you, Father, for the love that you've given us. Thank you, Father, that there is nothing like it. In Jesus' name we pray.